This is The Shift Podcast. Today on the podcast, we chat with Justin Tuin of lowestrates.ca and find out how you can save money on all kinds of things from bank services to mortgages, insurance rates. We talked about UFOs, the UFOs. Dave Scott from Space Style Radio is on the shift and he's also on the podcast. There is big news coming out of America on UFOs with an official government announcement. It's a little over a week away. We got the scoop. And uh, the expectations are pretty low, but it's worth hearing because you never know what could be coming and what aliens could look like. Plus, Sir Christopher Gilbert checks in with the International Dispatch and a very hungry whale that swallowed a man who was trying to catch lobsters and then spit him out again as he joins us live from Tokyo, Japan. Speaking of great humans, it's time to go all the way across the Pacific and check in with Chris Gilbert. Welcome to the International Dispatch from our world citizen. Live from Japan, New Zealand's Chris Gilbert. Potato Chip Gilbert. Potato Chip Gilbert. Sir Christopher Gilbert is here on the shift, and uh, and it's nice to have you back, buddy. Uh, how you been? You been okay? Yeah, no, I'm, I'm good. Um, I, 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 missed, I missed you last week, uh, mm-hmm. Shane. I had to delay my, my bit by a couple of days because I had uh, the knee, a knee the size of a small watermelon. And uh, I, I had to message in and be like, I can't make um, the show tonight because bad knee, <laughs> yeah. which is crucial to radio. It is um, crucial. Uh, it's very yeah. important. You're right. Yeah. 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 Your athleticism yeah. does come through. But, but I, I, yeah, thank you. I, yeah. I, it's, a, it's a sprint every time. Um, but uh, what, what, what are you eating there? You got a, you got a little sausage? What is that? I was trying to sneak a little pepperoni snack there, Chris. Don't call uh-huh, me up. Yeah, no, I saw that. <laughs> the audience heard it too. Yeah, there's another one. Right, having some I'm pepperoni mute. snack time during your, during your job there, Shane? I do mute myself. Thank you, though. Ryan's eating a bagel. <laughs> oh, Ryan, well, while your mouth is full and you're chewing, can you please tell everyone what kind of bagel you're eating? Go on. It, do it now. It, how, how dare you? It is a lovely uh, mountain grain peanut butter uh, and toast piece of bread Chris, you're not supposed to not supposed to expose us when we get to finally get a chance to snack after being on the radio for more than three hours (laughs) i'm hungry (laughs) yeah no i'm i'm sorry that was very mean of me but uh you know i get to i like to play games sometimes do you ever do any like um vocal warm-up exercises before you come on here you're like la 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 like anything like that no not at all nothing nothing in the shower while you're like having a shave in the mirror and you're like you know, Anchorman styles like Sally saw Sylvester stacking silver sauces side by side or anything like that. <laughs> she sells seashells by the seashore. No. Yeah. No, nothing. I maybe I probably should based on uh, you know our mouth typos that we've had on the program today. Mm-hmm. <laughs> this is why Doctor O'Donnell so prescribes honey and tea. Yeah, that's true. Green tea and honey. I mean, Doctor O'Donnell does prescribe that. So every now and then, when it's been a long voice talking day, I do uh, follow Doctor O'Donnell's advice for the. Green tea and honey, it does work. Green green tea and honey? Do they mix? Oh, it's beautiful. Yeah. Green so tea my, and honey. Um, one of my tea... Sorry, hold on. You're Give me a second. I got... He's got, he's got a mouthful of peanut butter. butter. Peanut butter. Yeah. I was like a dog there with the you know, stuck in my mouth. Mm-hmm. My uh, One of my teachers at Sate was uh, Beasley, uh, who is the voice of the Calgary Flames. He's a radio legend in Calgary. And I have, he has, he's a master of controlling his voice as an instrument. And every day that Beasley walked into class, 
he had a giant mug and I always thought it was coffee. And then no, he's Ryan, you have to control your voice, green tea and honey. And that's how you prevent vocal damage and all that. And then when I did a dog show at the Calgary Stampede, green tea and honey was the only thing that got me through half of it before my voice died. So, yeah. Uh, I'm sorry. I don't mean to laugh. I just like how, you know, Mr. Beasley said, uh, control your voice. Like, if you don't have green tea and honey, you're just going to go, whoa. Like, you're just going to get wild. Yeah, it's going to lose control. It's going to go on a tune. Put a leash on that thing. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. I, I like that green tea and honey advice from the man who eats uh, peanut butter live on the radio. Very good. I'll remember that one. Um, yeah, that, that thing... is ironic. He follows yeah, it up with no. a big glass of milk, too. So, <laughs> oh, no, Jesus. don't do milk. Um, no, things are good. Uh, you might have seen in the news um, that uh, Tokyo, the Olympics are probably, you know, we'll talk about it every week, but they're probably almost definitely happening now. Um, and Probably uh, the story... almost definitely happening. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, my gut feeling is that this is based on nothing, right? This is just my gut feeling uh, after following the story for a while is that the Japanese government probably through backdoor channels approached the IOC asking for it to be canceled and the IOC said no nah, no way. Mm-hmm. That's what I honestly think. And and yep. and and uh, the, my subtextual supporting evidence for that is that vaccination rates in Japan have recently skyrocketed. So that the vaccination rollout here is getting faster and faster which makes me think previously they were like it's okay we'll can- cancel the olympics we can take our time with this. And uh, then like, oh, crap, we, we better hurry this thing up. The IOC said no. That, that's my, my gut feeling with that. Yeah, but yeah. Um, holding my breath, waiting until it's over. But they have, um, they are going ahead with the, the traditional, um, uh, the, the, the best of Olympic traditions, which is not the torch relay. No, it's the handing out of 150,000 condoms to the athletes. So uh, uh, good news on that front. Well, they do, they do get a little randy after they've competed. Right. Right. Mm-hmm. Like that many hormones together in the same village, and uh, you know, there's, there's more than one kind of pole vaulting going on at the Olympics. Oh dear! There's some. Um, there's some. Um, <laughs> well, you hear like, stories like oh, about like soccer coaches. That was a good they, joke. Um, <laughs> that was a good joke. Um, there, there are like soccer coaches. You hear stories about where uh, they're not allowed to see their partners for a, a duration of time to build up the hormones in their body leading up to the big event. And then mm-hmm. after the big event is done, then they mm-hmm. find someone to have another big event with. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's, yeah. I mean, that's right. And it, it is a tradition as well. You know, it goes back to 1988, um, the Seoul Olympics to raise awareness of HIV and AIDS. But really now it's just, we know that these are probably some of the most athletic and pent up people in the world. Things are going to happen. We better, you know, just take the necessary precautions to make sure that, you know, you know precautions are made but i do like (laughs) i do like the official statement from uh the tokyo 2020 organizers who said the the excuse me i got some peanut butter in my mouth the distribution of condoms is not for use at the athletes village but to have athletes take home with them to their countries to raise awareness <laughs> wow! Hey, you know, I hear some condoms. Like, oh, how how was the Olympics, John? Great. Look here, I brought back some souvenirs with me. Here you go. You like? I got. Did you bring me back anything? Yeah. It's a different bag kind of, of gold. Bag metal. of Johnnies. Bag no of middle. Johnnies. Yeah. A bag of Johnnies. I said Jimmy hats the other day, and these guys couldn't believe it. 
So I've never heard of that before. <laughs> Bag of Johnnies is pretty Jimmy good hats? too. That's a very a thing? news news. New Zealandy of you. <laughs> um, yeah. Anyway, I just uh, speaking of New Zealand, like I, I read an uh, an article about how outraged everybody was. You know, like oh, one hundred and fifty thousand condoms. How dare they give out condoms at the Olympics? And I'm just like, well, what do you guys care? Just just condoms. Like you know, get off the grass, relax, enjoy your life. Whoa. You know, enjoy and and enjoy the athletes' lives as well. Of all things, uh, of old mentality to think that, you know, it's going to change someone's behavior because they're around or it's going to, you know, perhaps not, I don't want to say ruin, but I want to say ruin your life, right? Like <laughs> the health implications are still there over the course of all things that can come from uh, pole vaulting. Yeah, I mean, like, you know, if, if you know, let me, what, what's an Olympic sport? Um um, you know, I can't think of any Olympics. Uh, equestrian. When the equestrian mm. guy from Venezuela and um, meets up with the equestrian lady from Sweden, you know, nine months later, and it's like, you know what? Really, really wish they'd handed out condoms at that thing. Yeah, that can happen. That's true. Yeah. I wonder if there are Olympic babies. Oh, absolutely, there must be. And I also wonder if they're gold condoms because that would be good. Hey, there we go. Oh, I like that. You've got to kick the ball around for a while before you score a goal. All right. Uh, that's enough about condoms. Let's move on because I want to, I want to uh, talk about this, uh, this. Did you guys, did you guys hear about um, the whale that ate the lobster diver? I, yes, I, we did I briefly, saw a little bit about it. Yeah. Yeah. We did briefly get it in uh, are you okay? But Phil, Shane didn't, Shane was not present for that. So no, nope. please fill him oh. in. We're gonna we're gonna bring you up to um we're gonna we're gonna spin a yarn as we say in New Zealand we're gonna we're gonna tell the tale and set the scene for you Shane, um, the headline <laughs> jumping from condoms to this story uh, this is from the Cape Cod Times uh, the 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 headline for this story is quote I was completely inside <clears throat> lobster diver swallowed by humpback whale off Provincetown I assume that's near Cape Cod. Um, and, uh, it, this is kind of a Pinocchio Moby, uh, Moby Dick kind of story. So, um, I requested a little, uh, sea shanty music. Can we hear some sea shanty music, please, Brendan? Oh yeah. Arr. At a little before 8am on Friday, veteran lobster diver, Michael Packard entered the water for his second dive of the day. His vessel, the Jean, a fine boat, was off Herring Cove Beach, surrounded by a fleet of boats catching striped bass and other fishes. The water temperature was a balmy 60 degrees. Licensed up down to the bottom to get schools of sand lances and stripers swimming by. The ocean, full chain was in, uh, the ocean food chain was in full effect that day. But about 10 feet from the bottom, Packin suddenly knew what it truly felt like to be part of the food chain. It was something truly biblical. Packard was swallowed by a whole humpback whale. All of a sudden, I felt this huge shove, and the next thing I knew, it was completely black, Pegged recalled. Friday afternoon, following his release from Cape Cod Hospital in Kianis. And he says, I could sense I was moving, and I could sense I could feel the whale squeezing with his muscles in, in his mouth. And, uh, so he, this man, he was uh, completely conscious, con conscious inside uh, a humpback whale. Wow. So he's swimming, trying to How, get lobsters, that? and he becomes lunch and swallowed whole. Yeah. Wow. 
So how do you yeah, get out? By a humpback whale, which is unusual because humpback whales are not, you know, people eaters. Uh, Did we lose them? Chris, you're breaking feed. up. It was probably also looking for this, uh, like, similar fish at that bottom, uh, sorry, at that part of the ocean, at the bottom of the of, of the sea uh, the sea floor. And apparently, when they open their mouths to eat, it kind of has a parachute effect, and it blocks the humpback whale's uh, vision, so they can't see what they're doing, and they just inhale enormous amounts of uh, water and, you know, I guess debris and, and fish and other kinds of things, and like a vacuum to suck it up. And then once it's inside the mouth, it kind of gets, they filter out the water again just to keep the, the food remaining. So I guess he was just sucked up by the, sucked up by the whale vacuum. Hmm. So he's in the whale's belly. And I'm assuming he just lights a little campfire like you see on all the, the old books yeah. that are there. How does this get fixed? Well, that's, that's how I imagine it, right? Like when I imagine the inside of a, a whale, I always imagine kind of like a nice comfy armchair, maybe a cup of coffee, like a record player in the corner, you know, like a, uh, just reading by candlelight, listening to some jazz or something. But uh, he said it was gooey. Um, he was completely inside. It was completely black. Uh, and he thought to himself, there's no way I'm going to get out of this. I'm, I'm a goner. I'm dead. He thought of his boys who are 12 and 15 years old. And then he, um, he could tell the whale was struggling because it was shaking its head around. Uh, it didn't like him being inside. So he started just punching the inside of the whale. just like kicking and flailing and uh, smacking it. And uh, eventually just the whale just, just spat him out. And uh, he got thrown, thrown back into the ocean and um, a boat nearby, his boat, someone on the boat came and rescued him from being spat up by this uh, enormous humpback whale. That's incredible. I know. <laughs> I know. Uh, like, did he get you know beat those up people by it or... who, who watch movies and every time there's like a new location or like, Sort of like the person you're watching with is like, oh yeah, I've been there. By the way, I've been there. Mm. I um, I find this absolutely amazing. I find it amazing to think that you could actually just come out of a whale's belly and go about your day. Yeah, yeah. Um, I'm not going to lie. There was massive lag, and I didn't hear a single word you said just then, Shane. But I'm going to pretend like I did just to keep the mood rolling. Nice, and you agreed with me, which makes it even better. <laughs> yeah, I'll just agree with you. I, I know that the best way to work with you is just to agree with you and move for, move on. So, uh, <laughs> <laughs> oh um, man, I, I I I will just quickly say though that I ran this story past a colleague today, and he goes, "That is my greatest fear," and I'm like, "Being swallowed by what? Your greatest fear is being swallowed by a whale? That's your greatest fear, like." Not falling off a building or like being bitten by a snake or something, but like being swallowed by a humpback whale. That that is very specific, and yeah. I couldn't believe it. He goes, "Yeah, he goes, I don't want to be swallowed by a whale." I'm like, "Oh, well, fair enough. Neither do I, I guess." Well, it is a fair point, um, Sir Christopher Gilbert. Uh, in Tokyo, the International Dispatch, I really want to get to this Jeff Bezos story, Chris, before we're done, oh, because yeah. uh, Jeff okay. Bezos has slowly become our punching bag some here, somehow here on the shift. Awesome. No, I'm, I'm, I'm glad to hear that you're punching Jeff Bezos. Um, more people should be. Um, Jeff Bezos is to, uh, there's a petition 
Uh, it's got hundreds of signatures, which apparently, according to Fox News, means it's gaining steam uh, for Jeff Bezos to buy and eat the Mona Lisa, um, which I love. Uh, the, the petition is urging him to buy and eat it. It says, it reads, uh, nobody has ever eaten the Mona Lisa, and we just feel Jeff Bezos needs to take, take a stand and make this happen. Uh, it says the joke petition went up a year ago on change.org, and I'm not so sure it's a joke because I um, have not signed it yet, but I am 100% in favor of this happening. So the idea is that they want to sign a petition so Jeff Bezos buys the Mona Lisa because he is so rich, and then he yeah. just carves it up and eats it. Yeah, he just eats the Mona Lisa. And then you have to ask, why? what is the, the, the poetic element of this, right? I mean, what, why, why buy it and then eat it? Why not use it as a napkin or something, like some, you know, like Leslie Nielsen movie or something? You know, like, he, what is the point of him eating it? And it is to live out the actual act of what Jeff Bezos is doing, which is buying and eating all of our shared collective culture. He, he, it is, it is the living embodiment of the, of the snake eating its own tail. And it would be the most uh, beautiful point uh, of, uh, uh, I think, like uh, poetry. Uh, you know, it, it would be a work of art in itself to see him there. But I don't think he should stop there. I think he should go on and eat the Louvre. Um, he should eat Mount Fuji. Uh, he can wow. go to New Zealand and eat the haka and uh, eat all of the hockey pucks in Canada while he's at it. And all the bear claws. <laughs> <laughs> oh, save all the bear claws. We'll save some of those and the beaver tails because they're pretty awesome. Sir Christopher Gilbert in Tokyo with the International Dispatch. I hope your knee is okay. So far on the radio, it sounds great. Ah, yeah. No, the, the knee the knee is, um, I gave it some smacks there. It's sounding good. It's sounding radio, radio quality, Shane. Nice. Uh, thanks for being on, brother. Great to hear your voice. Yeah, you too. I'll see you guys next week. This is The Shift Podcast. I am maybe always have been or is slowly becoming terribly frugal. And I don't know why, but all I know is that as I get older, I really hate spending money on some things and quite frankly love spending money on other things. You know, there's some things that are just rewarding. Uh, Justin Tuin is here. He's with LoisRates.ca. Justin, how are you? Good. Thanks for having me. Are you like me? Do you are you frugal? Is that why lowest rates is a thing, or, or does it come from from some other need, or did you just get to a point where you're like, this is silly, how much I'm paying for something? Well, I hate waste. I hate wasting two things, especially. I hate wasting time, and I hate wasting money. And so we started LowestRates.ca to save Canadians both their time and their money. Hmm. That's amazing. That's a big concept. Each one of those separately. We could dig into both of those. Um, so lowestrates.ca, you can shop for car insurance, home insurance, mortgages, all those things. Uh, you know, credit card rates even if you just go to lowestrates.ca. So it's a very helpful tool. Why, why does it matter though? Um, you know, we, you and I can complain about waiting on hold for too long or spending too much money at the pump. But, you know, why does all this matter? I, I, I say this with the expectation that or the anticipation that, you know, there is a, a better world or a more efficient Canada thing going on in the background here. Yeah, for sure. I mean, Canada is a really expensive place to live. We have some of the highest housing prices in the world. We have some of the highest taxes in the world. It's hard to make ends meet. 
And when you look at the areas where people spend most of their money, personal financial products like mortgage, like insurance, like credit card debt, et cetera, people are making poor choices. They're just simply sticking with the same company or choosing the first one that they heard about and they're wasting money. It's basically like they're taking their hard earned money and they're throwing it in the trash and they're burning it because financial literacy is so poor in Canada. And so we're out here to try to change that, to try to keep more money in Canadians' pockets, to help them make easier, better financial decisions. I, when I am uncomfortable and I don't know what's going on, I feel like I'm not smart about RRSPs or mortgage rates or loan rates. I procrastinate, right? Procrastination as a notion is basically regaining power. You're in a situation where you have no power. And then what do you do? Well, I'm going to do this when I'm ready. Now we've regained power. When the reality is, you just need to go say, hey, help me with this. And it gives you an awful lot more. So what are you seeing in particular with this um, with this sort of inability for Canadians to acknowledge that you know, we can just do better if we just you know make a couple of phone calls? Yeah, for sure. We did a study and Canadians spend more time doing things like researching a vacation or choosing the paint color on their wall or what their couch looks like than making sure they have the best mortgage rate or the best car insurance rate. Despite the fact that obviously a lot more of their money is going into the, their mortgage and their insurance than the paint color on their wall. But people are intimidated, they're confused. And so you're right, they procrastinate or they just don't deal with it all. They choose the easy way out, but it's not their fault. Canadians aren't financially literate, like where are they supposed to learn it? The government doesn't teach financial literacy. Schools don't teach financial literacy. So most people, they've never learned it. So it's hard for them to make good choices because they don't even know what questions to ask in the first place. Well, it becomes a generational problem. So where did you, where did the, there's always a point, right? There's a tipping point where something, the aha moment happens. So where was yours? Where did you learn it? Well, so a couple places. So I was working in the UK for a while. And in the UK, everybody compares personal financial products the same way that Canadians compare flights and hotels. So everyone goes on these rate comparison sites in the UK. So I'd heard about them there. But then when I came back to working in Canada, I had to renegotiate my mortgage. And the bank that I was with was increasing my mortgage rate. And I didn't understand why. And they said, sorry, Justin, this is the best we can do. And I had some time on my hands. So I called some other banks, got a way better rate, and then took it back to my initial bank. And they said, great news, Justin, I will match this. In fact, I won't just match it, I'll, I'll beat it. And I said, well, look, now I've spent like 40 hours calling a bunch of different people, and only now you're giving me the rate that you were willing to give me in the first place? That's not very fair. And so that was kind of the aha moment. I kind of put together the fact that people were being taken advantage of by trusted institutions in Canada and the fact that in places like the UK, there were these sites where you could compare and take the stress and hassle and savings, you know, kind of out of the equation. And we decided to launch lowestrates.ca because I, I was one of those financially illiterate, right? Like I, I went to business school even, and in business school, they didn't teach you anything about personal financial literacy. And so I had to learn it myself just because I didn't want to waste money. So I learned the hard way. I took too long and I wanted to make it easier for other people. And that's why we launched this company. 
Yeah, I've taken too long too. Absolutely. And it is interesting, the perspective on banks, right? We look at banks as being this Canadian thing. When they're not, they are for-profit institutions that are literally bonused on selling you more products, right? The, the more product, like they're in most banks, this is from anecdotes from people who work in banks, they have an expectation of the amount of new accounts or new products they're supposed to add every day, every week, every month. And if they reach those targets, they get bonuses. So when your bank person says, hey, I've got this great line of credit thing for you that you know you can save a little bit of money here. If you just open this account, we can do that. Now they're actually getting two things. They don't get graded on the losing the account, and but they care about you opening the account. And so what's the, what's the last thing we ever do? is we we never close the account. <laughs> Absolutely. I mean, banks are so trusted by Canadians. Canadians are so slow to trust new things. And so the banks are so trusted and they're so entrenched in the mindset of Canadians because that's what everyone does. That's what your friends do. That's what your parents have done. They've stayed with the same bank forever. And so Canadians feel like they can walk into the bank and the offer that they're given is going to be the best one for them, that the banks care about them and that the bank is going to do best by them. And that's not the case. You have to advocate for yourself. There's a reason that the banks are the five most profitable companies in Canada because they're making a good profit on you. So you need to take it upon yourself to make sure that your bank or your insurance company or your credit card company is doing right by you. And you're getting, you're not, you're paying the least interest and the least cost possible for the right amount of coverage and service because they're not going to watch out for you. They're going to watch out for themselves. What if you could say like, everybody wants to go on a vacation now when COVID's done. And what if through the course of COVID, you took advantage of a bank rate and it saved you a hundred bucks a month. You'd have 15, $1,800, even if you just blew it on a vacation, um, there's your vacation for you. So th- there's a specific example of how you can take one conversation and turn it to your favor. Also on lowestrates.ca, there is the credit card links uh, link, plus there is auto insurance, which is a place of contention. Every pro- We're all across Canada on this shift show, and all across Canada, everyone's got a different argument about insurance, so that must be an incredibly difficult one to shop. Well, it's not difficult to shop. It's easy to shop, but it's, it's one that people don't shop enough because every single year, car insurance companies change their prices. And they don't just change their prices overall. They change their prices based on risk. They have different risk tolerances. They change their prices based on the car you drive, where you live, your driving experience, the number of tickets you have. So every single year, you should be shopping your car insurance because you can save from hundreds to thousands of dollars just by comparing rates. You know, most Canadians out there, more than 70%, they just let their car insurance auto renew. And that's a huge, huge mistake. You got to compare your rates. Also, something else for car insurance is if your circumstances change, like due to COVID, one of your cars is in the garage, or you're not driving to work anymore, call your car insurance company. Because if you're driving less, they will give you a refund or a rebate because you're less of a risk to get in an accident. So, People don't know these things. Hmm. Uh, yeah, well, I mean, I just sort of assumed that, I mean, I did get a good rate when I first went to my company and I went there to support a personal relationship. So that part I was okay with, but then, you know, three, four years later, things start to really change. Now, it's one thing to go to lowestrates.ca here and just fill out the info and try to get life insurance, Justin, but the, you know, the reality is we also need to know what what we're in for 
how, how do you do that? How do you let people know that, you know, by the way, term life insurance doesn't last forever. Um, you know, the, the things that maybe most people understand, how, how is it possible you can do that? Right. So we focus on two areas. One, we compare rates for people for free, similar to what an Expedia or Travago would do for flights and hotels. So we do that. But we also really focus on education. We write a lot of content answering people's questions. We write blogs with tips and tricks in terms of the things you should be thinking about for the different financial products. But we also have very strong partners. So whomever we put you with, so if you do a car insurance quote or a life insurance quote or a home insurance quote, whoever the lowest price is, we're going to match you with that financial institution. And then you're going to speak with them on the phone in most cases. And then that partner who already has the best price for you is going to make sure you get all the right coverage and that you've asked the right questions. So it's not just getting the right price. You absolutely need to get the right coverage also. And that's where you still need to have that phone conversation with the company. But at least, you know, if you've gone through our site, you're going to pay the best price and then you're going to be speaking to a trustworthy company because we vet all these companies. We make sure that they're going to take really good care of you. Where have you found for yourself, just your personal life, that you saved the most money? Mortgage, because that's the biggest ticket item, right? You can save, you can save five thousand dollars a year on mortgage interest by comparing rates. Like if if people walk into the bank and take the first offer that they're given, that's the biggest sucker move you could be making because those rates are just not competitive. You can you can negotiate, you know, one percent, sometimes two percent lower than the first offer in a bank. You know, car insurance, I saved myself close to $1,000. Home insurance, I saved myself over $2,000 by comparing. When I started this, I didn't even know the difference between an insurance company and an insurance broker. So a broker offers multiple insurance companies so they can shop the market for you. An insurance company only has one rate that they can offer you, and it is what it is. You know, that just shows someone from a business school knew so little because I never learned. And so we're, we're trying to educate consumers. Like we think financial literacy is the biggest problem that Canadians don't know they have. And the sooner you know, the more you'll want to research and be excited about the savings. And you made a really good point earlier. Like people don't get excited about saving money on personal finance because they can't relate it to anything. But when you think about, hey, this vacation is going to cost me 3000 bucks. And oh my gosh, by comparing home and auto insurance, I can save 3000 bucks it can get a lot more exciting if you can make it real. And like we've saved Canadians over a billion dollars since I've started. So think about how many vacations that's paid for. Hmm. Or one really nice one. You never know. It could go either way. So how do you get this in front of kids, Justin? I mean, to me, it seems like you got to get this into some sort of curriculum. Um, Even, I mean, your website, you guys do the leads, you send them off to the people and and you're, you know, you're doing a business and that's cool. But what people need to know is that there are access to organizations like this that are going to do that handoff for you happily and say, hey, by the way, there's 10 people here. These three really look like they've got what you need. But how do you get that into the minds of young people. I mean, you talk about literacy means we need to become literate and that starts, that's a generational problem. It is. And it's not an easy question. You know, does it come from the government? Does it come from the school systems? Because I think you need to hit people with the information when they care about it. You know, talking to high school students about mortgages, I don't think is that useful. I think you should talk to high school students about things they care about, like car insurance, because they want to drive like a credit card, because some of them are getting their first credit card sponsored by their parents in high school. And then, you know, you talk to people who maybe are 
towards the end of their university years about things like mortgage and things like home insurance. You know, most people who rent, rent, don't even know that they need rent renter's insurance. There's a bunch of people who don't have renter's insurance. They may have a fire in their condo and they don't, they're screwed, right? They, they, they lose everything and they can't afford to replace it. So I think education is key, as you said, but you got to hit people at the time when they're going to care about it. Because otherwise, you know, if you, if you get information that you don't care about at the wrong time, it's just going to go over your head. Right. It's a very valid point. At the same time, I mean, you got to try to make it exciting. I mean, there's people listening to us right now in this conversation going, this is the most boring, these guys talking about money. Why don't you talk about the Montreal Canadiens? So, um, you know, the reality is, is that, you know, some people just don't give a damn and you kind of wish they did. Well, they should, because talking about the Montreal Canadiens, saving money on these items can buy you some season tickets next year. Right. So that's excited about it. You know, think <laughs> about, just stop, stop throwing money away and burning it. You're complaining about how much houses cost, how much rent is. You're complaining about how much taxes are. You can't control those things. This is something you can control. You can stop throwing hundreds or thousands of dollars and burning the money because that's what you're doing by not understanding money better and by not simply comparing and seeing what all these other companies can offer you. And at least if you're going to burn it, have a hell of a bonfire and literally burn it if that's the case because then it's yours. Exciting. At least you have a good good video you can post on social media. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Justin Tuin is with lowestrates.ca. We wanted to bring out uh, some of the tools the reality in this conversation, and I'm sure, Justin, it happens with you and your friends, is that you sit down and somebody will ask that question. Oh, how much you pay on insurance? Oh, I, I pay, you know, $1,300 for two cars. Don't you drive a BMW? Yep. Right? The difference is, is that I didn't go lease a brand new one. Mine's five years old, right? Like, um, so people can make better decisions if we just get into conversation. We're often terrified to have them. So I really appreciate you, uh, you uh, joining us for this one. Um, and you must be a hell of a lot of fun at a party, just like me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you know, you shouldn't be embarrassed to be scared about this or to be intimidated by this. It, because, you know, money is intimidating. It can be a bit scary. But don't be afraid to ask questions. Don't be afraid to ask for help. Don't be afraid to look for advice because nine out of 10 people in the room have the same questions you do, right? And so, and it can make a huge, huge difference. Justin Tuin. LoisRates.ca. Thank you, sir. Thanks, Shane. It's the Shift Podcast. Shane, my van. How are you? I'm good. Thank you very much. How are you, Dave? I am doing great. I'm ready for June 25th. It's like Christmas in UFO land. And I'm telling you, man, I'm expecting to get a nice pair of socks instead of the hot rod car that I want. So tell everybody who doesn't know what six months ago was promised to all of your UFO UFO lovers out there. Oh, I know you love this topic. I totally know you do. Okay, so right before President Trump signed in his final budget, Senator Mark Rubio, who is the head of the U.S. Intelligence Committee, actually uh, helped get a caveat inside of their COVID budget, which would see funding go to a UAP task force, and that the Pentagon would have to release its files on what they know about unidentified aerial phenomena. Well, guess what? Six months is right around the corner on June 25th, and now all of us who deal in this type of luxury woo, as we like to call it, Mm 
we are waiting on bated breath to be disappointed by what will likely come out <laughs> and not come out from the Pentagon on Friday the 25th. You get the feeling that that's going to be one big piece of paper with an awful lot of blacked out text? Yes, absolutely. It is going to be more secretive than a man who hides a plenty of fish account from his wife. That's how secretive <laughs> it's going to be. All right, so what? there's got to be speculation because that's what uh, the UFO folks do best. Um, how, what, what comes of this? Is it, is it, you, are you truly waiting to be disappointed here? I am really actually waiting. And, and you know what? Look, this is what it comes down to. And I've talked to a lot of people over the last few weeks about this, getting real serious about this topic. The United States military and government has secrets that they do not want us to know. And this opens up a bunch of conspiracy theories that we'll never know of, whether it's Roswell, what happened at Phoenix in, on, uh, what was the date, March 13, 1997, when over 60,000 people for over two hours witnessed UFOs flying over what is now known as the Phoenix Lights. There are some big things that the government is holding back. All right, just today, give you an example, today, there was a report coming out of Hawaii where F-22 fighter jets were scrambled. A bunch of them were. And nobody knows why. Could it be UFOs? Because I don't think it's the Japanese returning, pun intended. All right? What, what would cause them to send up a fleet of F-22 Raptors to intercept something if it's nothing? And they're not reporting on it. You know, we're having sightings. The military is having sightings. The public is having sightings. But what are the declassified notes that we are going to get? And unfortunately, we're probably going to see more grainy UFO videos, more grainy gifts of, of blobs in the sky. We're not going to get that clear photo of a black triangle coming out of the ocean. We're not going to get that clear photo of a tic-tac that we all want to see that these state-of-the-art jet fighters with their cameras are able to take. We're not going to know about alien abductions. We're not even going to know about aliens. In fact, now you got me all sour over this. <laughs> what would you hope for, Dave? Would you hope for, uh, hey, this is Bob. He's from another universe. Like, what would you, uh, what would be ideal here? I mean, is it that, that, concrete evidence that something's coming or well, or has come? I think the safe bet is right now, I think there is a very strong argument within the Pentagon and within the White House that bringing aliens into the entire subject line chain is going to be very, very dangerous for the public. Look how we mm. have acted towards each other through COVID-19. We were ripping toilet paper out of people's hands in the grocery store. We were stealing milk from single parents who just wanted to have some milk for their child. We were hoarding gasoline. We were mean to each other. We're still mean to each other. And if that's the way we're going to act during a world pandemic, could you imagine how we're going to act when we find out that there's beings from another planet potentially visiting Earth? 
it's going to send us into complete hysteria, in my opinion. Now, there are people who are ready for it. Okay, I mean, Old Navy here, he likes his aliens. He would like some of them aliens. But the reality is, the majority of people on this planet, and if we focus on Canada and the United States, we're not ready. We are not ready for any sort of imminent contact. And that is why they are waiting on that. Introduce the UFOs. Okay, I think we will find out a little bit more with uh, clarity that it is not going to be Russia. It is not going to be uh, China. I think they're going to be leaning more towards we do not know where this technology is coming from. That also begs another question, Shane. That technology, if it's not from here, where is it from? There's a few possibilities. It could be something that is interdimensional, coming from a different timeline that has learned to overlap with ours. It could be coming from a society within inner Earth that we do not know about. It could have been here since the time of Atlantis. We don't know. It could be from outer space, which we perceive as extraterrestrial. Or how about this one? And I know this is being bandied about, too. What if it's time travelers from the future? There's some interesting stories that that sort of touch on a couple of those pieces that if if we really had found aliens, like if that's what this is, UFOs, whether they're robotic or whether it's actually like an alien pilot, we wouldn't recognize it because it would be so foreign or alien to us and that it's incredibly... I don't know, egotistical of humans to think that we would recognize a Tic Tac as a spaceship because we're like, hey, it flies faster than ours. Therefore, it's a thing. So is that like is do you do you find that that's the case where people really, you know, we're just so blinded by our own ego in this to think that we would actually recognize an alien if we saw it? I think we would freak out the way we freak out when we have moths flying into our hair, a mouse on the ground, a spider, we see a snake, I think we're going to freak out. And that's being perfectly honest. And when we don't like something, it's human nature to get very violent with it. Mm -hmm. We like to, you know, if we see a spider crawling around our kitchen on the floor, what do we do? We step on it or we grab some paper towel and squish it in our hands until we can hear it crack. You know, we we do that kind of thing. You know, if we see a mouse in our house, we panic. We go by uh, violent traps in order to to try and trap it, kill it. You know, we're a violent species. I I hate to sound negative like that, but, but truly we are. And we have to realize that if we see extraterrestrials walking around like in the movie Signs, Maybe not as violent as those in the movie Signs, but nonetheless, if we see that, we're going to do something about it. Mm-hmm. We're going to attack. We're going to bring out the guns. We're going to bring out the the bows and arrows. We are going to bring out, you know, Grandma's shoe that she was very accurate with hitting us with, with when we were a child. Okay? Yeah. We're going to be accurate with those. And, and you know, I, it is something, Shane, that we have to start thinking as reality. Because if it does come out on June 25th 
that these craft are not ours or not of any adversaries on this planet, where are they coming from? That's phase two. Eventually, it leads to phase three, which is extraterrestrial contact. We have to start waking up that this is no longer a conspiracy theory. This is no longer a story that is going to go away. We have to remember that this is a new paradigm shift in our reality and that many of us are probably going to live to see the day when extraterrestrials introduce themselves to us on this planet. Are we better off for that, Dave? Because um, the conversation has become somewhat legitimized. I mean, the old conversation 20 years ago was the only people who saw UFOs had no teeth and drove a pickup truck. You know, I'm I'm being jestful with the stereotype that was attached to it. Um, but it really was a stereotype. Now it's been somewhat legitimized when you have the government saying, Six months from now, we're going to release this. Has it has it moved the conversation truly forward, even if no information comes out from it? Yes, it has. Okay. And I'm going to use you as an example here. Sure. Because when you and I first started talking a year ago, Shane, you were highly skeptical on whether or not any of this is true. Now yeah. when we talk, you're very open to the fact that there is something out there because we're learning that information. And this is something that is opening up right across North America. Not so much yet here in Canada. Yes, our media outlets are starting to cover this story. Are they doing a good job? I would give them about a 2 out of a 10. When you have somebody like Chris Mellon on CTV for 14 and a half minutes, and you don't ask him as a Canadian reporter what is Canada's role in ufology, is this happening in Canada, does the Prime Minister or the Canadian military have this happen to them, that's a problem. The story is all over in the United States, but however, we are not turning that point up in Canada to figure out whether or not this story is happening here, which it is. Is that because the hot spots in Canada or seem to be very localized where things happen, or is that because Canada is just so big and spread out, the density, we just don't notice it? Our government has always had a policy of if we don't talk about it, it doesn't exist. It doesn't happen. For instance, if the public in Canada truly knew back in the 70s 80s, 90s, going back to the 50s when the UN used to call us up for peacekeeping missions. If they knew how badass our soldiers were and how many how many firefights our soldiers actually got in and were put in harm's way, our Canadian people would go crazy because we don't like doing that. We're there to peacekeep. We're not there to fire guns. We would go crazy. And there would be there would be reports and, and government inquiries about this. We don't hear about it. Okay. I can tell you right now that there was a major meeting between, and I got to be careful here because I can't give out names yet, but there was a major meeting between a Canadian official in, in Washington, D.C. on this subject 
And his job was, from what I am hearing from very, very reliable sources, his job was to take that information and replace it, or pardon me, not replace it, I apologize, and and bring that home to Canada to debrief Canadian members of the government. So that would mean Justin Trudeau, our prime minister, has been debriefed on this, putting two and two together. Why hasn't he talked about it? His best friend, Barack Obama, down in the U.S., is talking about it. Other presidents are talking about it. Current president is starting to talk about it. His press secretary is talking about it. Why hasn't the Canadian prime minister opened up and said, we're talking about it? I don't know if you saw Men in Black International, but there's a little tiny alien guy that befriends the main characters and he fits in the in his, his pocket and he becomes like their little buddy. Yeah. He's a chess he's like a pawn, right, from a chessboard. If aliens were a real thing, I would want them to be that little and that cute and that friendly that they could just hang out with us. I hope that's the case. Um because I think that to me makes somehow all of this feel better. <laughs> it, <laughs> They're it all does, friendly. But- but, I mean, you know what? We can't go in scared. We we can't go in scared to this topic. And, you know, the funny part about it is with everything, it, and I, it kind of puts a smile on my face, Shade. Like I said a, a few moments ago, like when you and I first started talking about this subject, you were very much on the skeptical side of things, and so were your audience a little bit. And mm-hmm. now we see what's going on. I hear from them. I hear from them on Twitter. I hear from you. The audience questions that you pass on to me. I mean, people are starting to pay attention. That's key number one. We need people to pay attention. We need people to throw the stereotypes out and understand that this is coming. It is happening. And soon we need to find out as Canadian citizens what the role is of Canada in ufology, just as much as my American listeners need to know, and your American listeners as well, need to know what is the role of their government when it comes to UFOs and potential ET contact. Well, we're a little over a week away. Dave Scott, spacedoutradio.com. I do look forward for the update after this is all done to get you back in the program and uh, give us uh, the insight and the inside scoop here of the data that is released. Thanks so much, Dave. Great to hear your voice, brother. It is always a pleasure to be on with you, Shane. Thank you so much for your time. Thanks for listening to The Shift Podcast. Make sure you subscribe, rate, and review the show and share with anyone you like. Get it on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, and CuriousCast.ca.